Hey, today I'm going to talk uh, about Esther in the book of Esther. If you got your Bible, turn to Esther chapter 1. I talked to your pastor yesterday. He didn't tell me he had twisted his knee. But uh, that's what he gets for going off and having a good time, right? Huh? Okay. This uh, the story of Esther is the story of God's providence, how God looks after his own how God looks after his children, how God looks after the covenant people, how God's providential care is, uh, was manifest in Esther's life uh, and Mordecai's life, and uh, how that same providential care can be present in your life. This is really an exciting story, and I uh, uh, want to get into it now. So let's bow in prayer. Dear Lord, Please help now as I speak. Help me to say what I ought to say. Lord, please use me. Lord, speak to our hearts. Encourage us as we learn from the Word of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there are four main characters in the book of Esther that, that I want to talk about. One is King Azarias, who was a great king of Babylon. And uh, he is very prominent in the story. And then there is Mordecai. Mordecai was uh, a Jew who was uh, deported from Jerusalem and lived uh, over in what is today uh, modern Iraq. And he uh, uh, was a Benjamite. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, which is a very small tribe. And then there is Haman. Haman was a very important official in the kingdom. And I might mention that at this time, this kingdom was the world power. It was the United States of that period of time. And uh, this was in about 521 B.C. before Christ. So that's when this story took place. And uh, Haman was a very powerful man. Haman hated the Jewish people and he hated Mordecai. He hated Mordecai because uh, he was promoted uh, above all the princes. They were called provinces. Every country that this this Babylon conquered uh, became a subjective province to Babylon, and they all their kingdom stretched all the way from India over to Ethiopia. So that's a lot of territory, and especially back in those days, when you got around on horseback or camel or something like that, that would have really been a huge, huge kingdom. And uh, that included Israel, Judea. And uh, so uh, every single kingdom they conquered, they called a province. And every single province, they selected what they called a prince that would answer to the king and would rule over that uh, sub- sub- subjected uh, uh, kingdom that they had. And so this uh, Haman was put over all of the princes. So he was a very, very powerful man in Babylon. Uh, Mordecai was like a bureaucrat. The Bible says in Esther that he worked at the city gate, which means he was a bureaucrat. He worked for the government. The Bible doesn't specifically tell us what all he did. But he did work in the gate, which is where the, the city and, and uh, governmental uh, bureaucrats would, would do their work just inside the gate and of the main, of the big city. And whenever Haman came by, 
everybody would bow to him. And they'd bow and scrape. And he would walk by with great pomp and great circumstance and with great pride and arrogance. But Mordecai wouldn't bow to him. And he'd just go on about his business and pretty well ignore him. And Haman was furious over this. He was furious. And so he set out to see what he could do to dispose of Mordecai. He wanted to kill him. So that lays the groundwork of the story. Now there's something else I should tell you, and we'll probably get over this again. Something else I ought to tell you. Uh, Esther was, uh, several things about Esther you need to know. Number one, she was a Jewish. She was from the tribe of Benjamin. Another thing about Esther is her parents were dead. Uh, not only were her parents dead, but Mordecai was her actual cousin, but he was a good good deal older. Mordecai was her cousin. And when her parents died, he took her in and became her father, so to speak, her father figure, and she lived in his home. Uh, another thing about Esther that you're going to see as we get into this story is she was very attractive. She was a beautiful young woman, and she was a virgin. So that lays the groundwork of the story that we're going to read about. So if you look down at your Bible, look at verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, Now it came to pass in the days of Azariah. There's your king, uh, he uh, which reigned from India to Ethiopia over 107 and 20 provinces. So he was a pretty powerful man. It was a great world power of the day in 520 B.C. In those days, verse 2, when the king Azariah sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, the palace. Actually, Babylon had a number of capitals, but because this story takes place here, this this capital is, is mentioned. Now let's move on to verse 11. Uh, he had a queen, and her name was Vashti, to bring Vashti the king. Oh, I, I need to back up and tell you, he had a great banquet which was basically a debauchery, where they ate for days. And the way they would do it back then is they would lay on couches, these rich and powerful people, and people would bring them food, their servants would bring them food, and they would eat and gorge themselves. Then they would go wherever they would go and stick their finger down their throat and throw up and come back and eat again. It's disgusting, but that's what they did. And they were having a banquet that went on for days, and also they were drinking wine and getting drunk. And so this went on for a while. And after some days went by, and Azurias and all the princes that were with him and all the big shots were with him, Azurias decided that he would show off his queen, who was quite attractive. Her name was Vashti. And he decided. Now, the Bible does not say specifically, but... Apparently, every I read a number of commentaries about this in preparing for this message, and several Bible scholars. I'm not one, but I, you know I can read, and they all seem to think that he didn't just ask Vashti to come in and say hi to the guys, but he wanted her to come in in some form of lewdness, some form of undress or whatever. Anyway, look at verse 11. So he decided to bring Vashti the queen. Be- before the king and the crown royal, to show the people and the princes her beauty, 
for she was fair to look on. But the queen Vashti refused to come. Hey, that's pretty good, isn't it? And the king, at the king's commandment, by his chamberlains, therefore was the king very wroth, and his anger burned in him. Oh, man, she really showed him up and embarrassed him in front of all the crown royal, and he was really embarrassed because she wouldn't come in and uh, display her body in front of all these guys. So his counselors, and we won't read this part, I'll just tell you, his counselors told him, uh, you need to get rid of her because this is a bad example. By the way, it's kind of funny, actually, because they said, if you let her get by with this, this could be a women's lib movement. Man, uh, our wives could do the same thing. You know, I mean, our wives could tell us to go fly a kite, too, when we tell them to do something they don't want to do. So you've got to make an example. That's what the Bible says, that you've got to make an example out of her. You've got to, uh, sure, she can't, she can't thumb you and get by with it. She can't uh, get by with not doing what you tell her to do. So they got rid of Vashti, and they had to get a new queen. So um, uh, look at verse chapter 2 and verse 2. Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, Let there be a fair young virgin sought for the king. So they said to him, You go all the way over your whole kingdom, and round up the most beautiful virgins in all of your kingdom, all the way from India over to Ethiopia, gather up all the most beautiful virgins you can find, and bring them uh, to, to our town, and let them come before you, and you can pick out one to be your new queen. So that's what they did. Now look at verse 5, chapter 2. Now in Shushan the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shemer, Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjaminite. Now that's very important. Uh, I think that some of you folks who have studied the Bible so on, you know that the tribe of Benjamin was the smallest of all the tribes, and they were so small, they were kind of attached to the tribe of Judah. Whenever you, wherever Judah went, whatever the tribe of Judah did, there were the Benjamites. And so it was the least. That's very important. The least of all the tribes, he was out of this tribe, the least. You say, why is that important, Pete? Because this story is the story of how God takes care of his own, no matter who you are. And I want to say to you, no matter who you are, God's got a plan for your life. And you're important to God. Does that make a difference? Uh, What your past is like, what heartaches you've had in your life, what your education is like, what your race is. Uh, where you're from, whether you've been in trouble with the law or not, whether you've been divorced or not, whether you've been bankrupt or not, it doesn't make a difference to it. That God loves you and God's got a plan for your life. In fact, God uses people from the tribe of Benjamin more than He uses people from other tribes. You say, what do you mean by that, Pete? I mean, God uses people who are meek and lowly. People who are willing to let God use them. People who are willing to be in God's hand. People who are, say, the people who are proud and haughty and so on. You know, when I was in uh, college and Bible school, uh, there were kids that were very popular. They were very good looking. They were, uh, uh, they got elected to all the officers, you know, the class president and the student body, secretary and all that stuff. They were very important people. The athletes 
so on, so on like that. You know, I don't, there's some, but I don't know very many of them that have ever done a thing for God. Most of the people that I went to Bible school with who are doing something for God today were just people who had to work to get through school, who made average grades, who weren't particularly handsome or beautiful, who just got by, but they had a willing spirit to be used of God. So God wants us to know if you're from the tribe of Benjamin, God's got a plan for you. Isn't that great? Now look at verse 6. So this uh, Mordecai had been carried away from Jerusalem and the captivity which had been carried away with King Jehoaniah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. So, these people were actually forced to leave their home forever and leave Palestine, leave Jerusalem, and go all the way over to Babylon. And they were, there they were. And uh, they were refugees, you might say. Verse 7. And he brought up Hadeshah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughters, that made them cousins. For she had neither father nor mother, and her maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took her for his own daughter. So it came to pass, when the king's commandment and his decree was heard, that when many maidens were gathered together to Shushan the palace, to the custody of Haggai, and Esther was brought un, also unto the king's house to the custody of Haggai, the, the keeper of the women. So this Haggai guy was a eunuch, and he uh, was in charge of the king's harem. And they brought all of these beautiful girls from all over the kingdom so the king could select one to be his wife. And Esther was one of those. Can you imagine how terrifying that was for this young girl? Just absolutely terrifying. Just think what had happened to her. Her parents had died. She had been kidnapped, drugged away from her home. She had been brought to a foreign country with foreign customs and a foreign culture and a foreign language. She never saw her friends again. She never got to go to her school or whatever her society did in Jerusalem. She never got to do that again. God had given her a beauty. She not only had a beauty on the outside, which fades away, because as the older we get, the less beauty we have, but she also had a beauty on the inside. And God had a plan for her. And God's got a plan for you too. So she drug off. So here she was, a refugee from a little tribe in a foreign country. And she got taken out of her house there with Mordecai and brought to the king's palace. And there she was. So uh, uh, she might have very well said to herself, what in the world is God doing? Where in the world is God? Maybe she even prayed about it. And she said, God, don't let them select me. God, don't let, why am I, why am I so pretty? I hate to break down to this pretty. Lord, don't let them take me to the king's palace. What are you doing, God? And it seemed like God wasn't answering her prayer. Have you ever done that? Have you ever prayed to God about something that's really important to you? And it seems like God is nowhere around. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't do anything. The Holy Spirit didn't come into your heart and say God's listening to you. You're just like praying to the wall. 
Oh God, help me. Nothing. Maybe uh, Esther did that, you reckon? Maybe she prayed and said, Oh God, help me. And it was just like praying to a brick wall or a stone wall. Where was God? What is God doing? Why isn't God helping me? But you see, God had a plan that Esther didn't know about yet. So let's go ahead and look at verse 16 in chapter 2. Asher was taken to King Azarias and the house royal in the tenth month, which is the month Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So all of a sudden, completely unknown to this young Jewish girl, she was selected among all the girls to be the king's queen. And you notice something God did? God put in this old wicked king's heart to love her. It wasn't just her beauty. There was something about her that attracted him. I mean, all those girls would have been beautiful. But God placed in that king's heart a love. I'm going to tell you something. When God has a plan for you, when God's got something He wants you to do, when God's got something involved in your life that may change the course of human history, God will move in the hearts of people to see to it that it comes about. The Bible says, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And so God can work on the heart of the most wicked people to do His will and to bring about His plan here on this earth. Now God does works in several ways to bring about His providence. In a general sense, what is God's plan for this world? Well, God wanted a, a people that was created in His image. A people who were eternal. A people who were body, soul, and spirit, like God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. A people who were free moral agents. That means we have the ability to choose one path or choose another path. We can do that. We can choose right or we can choose wrong. God won't stop us. And He created that people, that's you and me, so that there would be a people that would choose to love Him. God can make us like robots, where we would all love Him, where we'd all adore Him, where we'd all fall down before Him. And that's what the rest of His creation does. That's what the planets and the solar system does. They all do exactly what God wants them to do. But God wanted a created being that could choose to worship Him, choose to love Him, choose to do His will, choose to know Him, or choose not to. That's why God created us. And so, when Adam and Eve then sinned in the Garden of Eden, God could have destroyed Adam and Eve. He could have said, I'll start all over again. I think that's what I would have done. It's a good thing I'm not God, right? But uh, God said, no, I'm going to send a Redeemer. 
I'm going to send my only begotten Son who's going to come to earth. And He's going to die for our sins and He's going to pay for our sin debt so that the thing that separates us from God can be cared for and we can be redeemed. And everything that God has done in human history from that time forward has been working toward that goal for the human race to be redeemed through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So, when you and I get on that page, God's got a great plan to use us in that that way. Now, God, not exclusively, and I'll explain this just briefly. God, for the most part, works through His people, that is Christian people, His children, covenant people, because these Jewish people are the covenant people, right? But we are too. If you're a believer, you're part of the covenant. And so, God primarily works through you and me to do His work and see to it that His will is accomplished on this earth. The Bible says that through the foolishness of preaching or witnessing, men should come to repentance. Now, God could send His angels. Well, just think, you know, the, the world's idea of an angel is so ridiculous. You know, see, most angels are little girls or women. They've got little wings and, and, and are they little do-gooder kind of people. And, but really, if you read the Bible, almost every single time somebody saw an angel in his natural form, what did the people in the Bible do? They fell flat on their face. They were petrified. And so God could certainly send His angels here. Man, they could do a great job saying, you need to all trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Wham! We'd fall on our face and say, whatever you say, man. But God didn't do that. God has chosen to work through you and me to do His work here on this earth. Now He does other things too at times. He sends pestilence, earthquakes, fires, whatever. Sometimes it changes the course of history. Wars. Sometimes God sends wars to change the course of history. But for the most part, God uses you and me. If God didn't intervene sometimes, I think man would destroy themselves, don't you think? We would destroy ourselves. So sometimes he has to get involved in other ways. But God uses you. That makes you very important in God's cause, in God's plan. And that's what God had in mind for Esther. He was going to use Esther to save his people. So uh, so we don't get going too late, I'm going to skip over some stuff now and say, so this Haman hated Mordecai, and he decided that he was going to kill Mordecai and all of his tribe, which were the Jewish people who were living in Babylon and all throughout the kingdom. He had a plot to destroy the Jewish people. And he set out to take care of that. And he figured since Mordecai was in the government in a high position, if he could get rid of Mordecai, then it would be easier for him to destroy the rest of the children of Israel that lived in Babylon. So that was his plan. So uh, 
Mordecai got wind of this. Or actually, excuse me, Esther got wind of this. She went and told Mordecai. And Mordecai said to Esther, you need to go see the king and tell him what's going on. But there was a problem. Allowed to go before the king unless he called for you. And even Esther, even though she was the queen, if she went into the king's chamber while he sat on the throne and he hadn't called for her, she was to be put to death automatically. That was the law of the Medes and the Persians. She automatically be put to death unless, unless he would put forth his royal scepter shove it forward with his fist, and she would come up and kneel and touch the top of it. Then, that means he would suspend that law. So it was a risky proposition. And Esther said to her uncle, her, her daddy uncle, she said, or cousin rather, she said, if I go in front of the king, and he hasn't called me for weeks, he hasn't seen me for weeks, and if I go in before him, I may die. And you know what uh, Mordecai said? Well, let's see if we can find it real quick. Look at chapter 4, verse 13. Then Mordecai commanded to Esther, Think not thy, on thy, with, not with thyself, that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. He said, we're all going to be killed. If you don't go in there and stop this thing, you're going to be killed anyway. Because Haman's out to destroy all the Jewish people. Verse 14, For if thou altogether holdest peace at this time, then shall there be enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now, just hold your finger there a second. Let me talk to you about this. Isn't this exciting? What Mordecai, the older person with wisdom, after years of walking in with God, said, look, if you don't seize this opportunity to stop Haman from killing all of us, what's going to happen is God will just turn and use someone else. That's really important. That's why it's important for us to be compliant, to be surrendered, to be willing, to be eager, to be looking, to be used of God. Because if you and I are not willing to be used of God, God will sit us on the fence and He'll go get somebody else. God's will will be done. The question is, will He work through you and me to do it? And Haman said, hey, what do you got to lose? We're all going to die anyway if you, if you don't. You're the logical person. You're in the palace. The king loves you. You're the one. Maybe God has raised you up for just a moment as this. You know what, folks? There may be one singular thing that you will do in your life, and that's why you're here. It may have already happened. Maybe it's going to happen in the future. 
But you don't know and I don't know, but you and I ought to walk with God day by day. God may have something that God is going to use you to do that will change the course of history. When I went to Bible school, I'm at the Tennessee Temple, which was in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And our pastor and president there was a man named Lee Robertson, a wonderful, mighty man of God. And through his life and his work, thousands and thousands of people have gone out into Christian ministry and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people have come to Christ. But you know, uh, Lee Robertson was raised in Kentucky. Little old poor area in the hills of Kentucky. And one day he went to church and went into the Sunday school class and there was a woman there who was a Sunday school teacher and she taught the Sunday school lesson that day. And then when she dismissed class, she said to Lee Roger, she said, Lee, would you hold on just for a second? I want to talk to you. She sat him down in a chair next to her and she said, Lee, do you know Jesus Christ? Have you ever trusted Him as your Savior? He said, no ma'am, I don't reckon I have. She said, well, I'm going to show you how to do that. And she led him to Christ. A little old uneducated hill woman from Kentucky led Lee Robertson to Christ. And God used Lee Robertson to affect the lives of tens of thousands of people. You know, there's a little poem that goes like this. For the lack of a shoe... Excuse me, for the lack of a nail, the shoe was lost. For the lack of the shoe, the horse was lost. For the lack of the horse, the rider was lost. For the lack of the rider, the battle was lost. For the lack of the battle, the war was lost. For the lack of the war, the country was lost. All for the lack of a nail. Don't you cut yourself short. You may be the nail that God has in this room right this second to do something that you will never even know about until you see God in heaven. So, Esther said, okay, if I die, I die. I want to read that to you. Look back down chapter 4, verse 16. Look down at the second half of verse 16. She said, so will I go. Do you see that? So will I go in unto the king, which is not in accordance to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So you and I ought to have that attitude. We're going to say, I'm going to serve God. Whatever God's got for me. If I die, I die. If I'm poor, I'm poor. If I'm rich, I'm rich. But I'm going to give my life to Christ and have Him use me for His glory. So i got to wind up, but Esther... Went in before the king, which was not in accordance to the law. And the king saw her and her beauty and how much he loved her. And he put forth his royal scepter. And she touched it. And you know what he said to her? He said, What do you why are you here? What he you know, when you're in a position like that, everybody that comes to you wants something, right? And he said, What do you want? Whatever you want. He said, you know what I'll do? I'll grant whatever you want up to half the kingdom. In other words, he was telling her, I will make you co-regent. Wow! 
she wasn't just going to be a trophy wife. She was going to be the most powerful woman in the world. I'll give you half the kingdom. I'll make you co-regent with me. She said, no, I just want you to come to a banquet I'm going to fix. I want you to come and I want Haman to come to a banquet I'm going to fix. Wow. He said, I'll do it. He told Haman. Haman was so excited. So they came to the banquet. And they all ate and had a good time. And after they got through eating, King Azariah said, okay, now we've had a good time. I know you want something. What do you want? She said, I want you to come back to my house tomorrow for another banquet. And I want you to bring Haman with you. He said, okay. Oh, Haman was excited. Boy, he said, the queen. See, he didn't know the queen was the cousin of Mordecai, and he didn't know that she was a Jewish. And, oh, he was excited. He went home and told his wife, boy, I've made it now. I'm, the king and I are buds. We're eating with the queen. I, I have made it. But that night, the king couldn't sleep, and he went and he opened up his books of what was going on in the government, and he came across Apaches that told how Mordecai had informed the king through Esther that there was a plot to assassinate him. It actually saved the king's life. And he called her servants in in the middle of the night and said, has anything been done about this to, to reward Mordecai for what he did to save my life? They said, not yet. He decided to, to reward Mordecai, and he did. Meanwhile, the next day came, the next night, the king and Haman come to the second banquet with Esther, and he says to Esther again, what do you want? She said, I want me and my family to be saved. There's a plot out to destroy all of the Jewish people, and I'm Jewish. And the king said, who would do this terrible thing? Whoever it is, I will see to it that they are destroyed and that all their possessions are given to Mordecai. She said, it's that guy right there, it's Haman. And the king commanded Haman was taken out and was hung on the very scaffold that he had built to kill Mordecai. And God delivered the Jewish people. God has a plan for you and me. And it starts out, everybody, with knowing for sure that you know Christ in your heart and in your life as your Savior. And then, as a believer, saying, God, I surrender all, please use me in whatever way that suits you. My life is yours. God has a plan for you. Let's bow in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for your wonderful love. We thank you for this wonderful story about Esther, a young refugee girl, and how you used her life to change the course of history. Lord, I pray that you'll please speak to our own hearts and our own lives. And the Lord, encourage us. Lord, I pray that there's someone here today who's discouraged, who thinks that their life is worthless, that, Lord, you'll encourage them through this example and show them, Lord, that you love them and that you have a plan for their life and that you're important to, to you, God. Lord, help us to live a surrendered life and to be used of you. 
And Lord, if there are folks here today who do not know Christ as their Savior, I ask you, Lord, I beg of you, I implore you, please come into their heart through the whole, come into their heart through your Holy Spirit and speak to them and let them have a willingness to come to Christ and accept you as their Lord and Savior. So please do your work. We pray in Jesus' name.